Well, welcome, Dr. Charlie Self. Thanks so much for taking time to spend with us and our Awakening community. We miss you. We're excited. Uh, our church doesn't know this, but we're going to see you this summer, so we're really looking forward to that. Uh, but you're just such an encouraging pastoral um, voice in our church that brings such life and wisdom. And so uh, I'm grateful to get opportunity and moment just to have a conversation with you. Well, thank you for letting me be part of the conversation. And uh, Kathy and I just consider Awakening as one of our dear homes and one of the places we can just in an unqualified way, feel enthusiastic about. And so no small credit to you and the team and the, and the family there at Awakening. So thanks for letting me be part of the conversation of what God's doing. Oh, absolutely. So thrilled that you'd be a part of this and that you consider us home is an uh, incredible joy. So kind of talking about a few things we were going to talk about uh, or we were talking about before we logged on uh, is, one, just how are you? Where are you? Where are you? you know, I know you live in Colorado, so but and, and then maybe just in this season personally, what have you been learning uh, this wild, wacky COVID season? Well, thank you. Yeah, we are enjoying life in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, a suburb of Denver. Uh, and my work with Made to Flourish and my work with the seminary and helping other churches has really had to pivot in this moment. Um, because it's it's all virtual, it's all by phone. The travel isn't there, so uh, I am doing well insofar as I'm I'm thrilled that I still have a chance to work. And I just want to be really tender to to folks that might be you know listening in and struggling with work itself or struggling with having work. So I want to express gratitude that I have it, and then prayers for those that are unemployed and underemployed at this moment as well. So I'm grateful to have work, uh, and it's changing. So I, I would say if, if, if there's a melancholy note to it, it's I really miss the meeting with God's, God's people in person. I miss being able to uh, be at the table of the Lord. I miss the tangibility of what the church is, because no matter how we have to pivot or adjust to an emergency, uh, Jesus designed his church to be in person. And, and so it's, uh, it's an important thing. Uh, Kathy is doing really well. And um, in fact, there's been some real wonderful breakthroughs in her artistic expression. Um, a network of a network of churches back east bought 50 prints of one of the paintings she created, and um, and then she's sold some others. But most importantly, I'm just seeing this burst of of creativity out of the challenging times. And uh, you asked another question, which is you know kind of what are we learning? And I think. Um, for an extrovert, I'm learning the value of solitude and <laughs> learning the value of, of really taking a little more time to listen. And um, at the same time, I've gotten to know my neighbors more than ever as we take walks in the neighborhood. And we're being wise and six feet apart and all those good things. But I'm actually getting to know more people. And in our home church, there's actually more personal care going on. Um, so it's it's you know God, as usual God is bringing good out of very trying circumstances. Yeah. Well, I'd love to maybe even drill down on that just a little bit of learning, especially an extrovert being forced into solitude. That is incredibly challenging. So, what rhythms or habits or disciplines are sustaining you in this season of your faith? No, thank you. I, there's there's 
there's several things that I think have been really helpful. One is to um, obviously to continue to spend time in the Word and spend time with the Lord personally, and to have that conversation with, in my case, with Kathy, but have that conversation with our family members of how God's speaking to us through the Word. And our church does three chapters a day in the Bible. So we kind of have a built-in reading plan. And right now, this morning, Kathy goes, okay, we're starting Job. I hope that's not a sign of anything, you know. <laughs> but it's a really healthy thing because God never fails to have something for us, no matter what part of Scripture we're in. Another thing has been physical exercise. In the case of Kathy and myself, it's been two good walks a day, along with certain exercises and things. I miss the gym. I miss the you know, the sweat and the noise and the, again, the people. But um, I think that, I think just the, the the physical health that comes from that. I think a third thing is I'm, I'm just staying in touch with as many people as I can uh, in whatever means they're comfortable with. And I'm finding some real joy in writing notes to people in, in handwritten notes, in phone calls, in non-screen or non-computer ways in some ways to stay in touch. So those are just three things that have, have helped us. And I think if there's a fourth, to use the Hebrew poet here, three things, yes, four. Um, I'm getting up every day and dressing for work. And now, of course, I don't need to be formal, but I'm not just even doing office work. I'm not just in my sweats or my or a T-shirt, but I'm sort of saying, OK, I'm I'm focusing on the task today. And um, I think that's an important it's subtle, but it's kind of important. I'm I'm you know, I'm dressing up and suiting up for whatever it is God has for me. Yeah, no, I think those are so good. So important. God's word. Uh, getting into God's word, uh, physical exercise is so important. Uh, and I think for many, the strange season that we're in with this is we've never lived in such of a blur and have so much to do and yet have nothing to do all at the same time. And I think, I know for me on the beginning of this, physical activity went out the door uh, in that and had to reincorporate that. Uh, I love the non, um, you know, screen connection and staying connected. And, and I even love it being connected to a discipline because I think in this season, it's easy to retreat and to feel like, uh, you know, I don't really feel like it. We can actually get into some really isolating negative cycles that begin to feed themselves as we retreat into that and making it a discipline to connect is so powerful. Um, and you'll laugh at this, but, uh, during COVID I've combed my hair more than I have any time in my life. Um, so same with you getting dressed, working out all those sort of things. But I just thought it was funny. A lot of times I'll throw on a ball cap and go to the office, you know, and work, but there's just something about feeling ready for the day that cues and being ready. So I love those four. I wanted to just restate them so that uh, everybody could uh, really take notes and get those there. Um, and so then as we maybe shift gears from these are the rhythms that are sustaining you, as you look at the church, what are things that you're just encouraged by? I, I think so often we got to start being encouraged and not uh, we get the news and we're staying stuck to these feeds and and, and what's, what's the good going on? You're in touch with 
so many churches around the country. What are you deeply encouraged by? Well, there's three things that come to mind, kind of three categories that I think will be really helpful. One is churches are sort of awakening that the the assets of their church are the people themselves, the the passions, gifts, skills, connections. And so as we're experiencing this huge disruption, there's also been a discovery of, hold on a minute, we've got resources right in our own church to help with uh, everything from finding jobs to um, helping marriages and things. So this, what I'll call a non-programmatic awareness of the goodness of God providing people in the church for one another. And so uh, that's part of what what I'm doing in helping churches discover that, but it's what people are discovering kind of on their own as well. I think a second thing category that I'm encouraged by is local churches are sort of taking a little bit of time and refining, you know, what what is our field? What are, what are we supposed to be about? You know, we can't do everything. And here's where I'm going with that. It's It's kind of an interesting kind of a two-step all at once. It's on one hand, let's do maybe fewer things really well, but let's also um, realize we're part of the church in the city or the church in the county, that we're connected with other congregations and other sisters and brothers. So as we kind of get refined and know what we're supposed to be about, we can take joy in our assignment, but also be praying for the other assignments and expressions. And that leads me to a third thing, and that is, it won't make a lot of headlines because it doesn't, you know, it isn't clickbait, but a lot, there's a lot more collaboration going on, um, prayer, including prayer movements, uh, charity movements, but also business incubators and, and people finding out um, the resources of where they are, both church, church-based, but um Local governments and local nonprofits and local business networks are talking to each other in ways, um, and and they're including the church in this. Now, I want to be really fair here. It's also a moment where we sometimes feel very marginalized, if not persecuted. We feel ignored. Uh, There are people in power that don't like us, so we have to be honest about those things, and maybe we'll look at some of that later. But I am finding, at least across the country, um, I am finding collaboration. So I'll, I'll just restate it. This sense of discovery that every person in our church is an asset. Every person in our church has something to offer as we weather weather this and come into a new world. Secondly, I think churches can think more in terms of outcomes than programs, more in terms of how are we doing and what are we supposed to be about ourselves and not substitute activity for fruitfulness, and then collaborations. Um, how do we actually, you know, what what's, what is San Jose's um, economy going to be like in the next 10 years? What's, what's shifting? What's going to change? Well, we don't know fully, but through the people of God and through listening deeply, we can discover ways to, to make sure people always have work and have purpose So those are three things that I'm very encouraged by. I love that. I can see all those taking place here in Silicon Valley and Awakening, and I'm deeply encouraged by the collaboration of the churches in the Bay Area. In fact, every Tuesday, I'm on a call with anywhere from 15 to 30 pastors that are across the Bay where we're talking about this, and then we have other different networks where I've never been this connected with pastors and 
in the um, Bay Area ever. And it's exciting. And that's some of the things that I hope moving out that uh, doesn't change. And so uh, maybe allude to that. What are some things that you hope out of this that we're learning and discovering and encouraged by that we want to maybe continue on as a church? I want to get back to uh, something you alluded to uh, in a bit, maybe just after this, is the whole idea of that some of the tension of, okay, we are being marginalized and there's some angst even in our state of California with what's going on there. And that was a big conversation we're having as pastors and with the county. So we'll get to that in a second. But when you look at how we're, you know, our ecclesiology has changed, how we're doing church, what what are some of the things as we look at this that you go like, we, we don't want to lose when the day comes when we can just all gather and, you know, it's back to, quote, normal? Yeah. Um, wow, what a great question. A um, couple of things. Let's build on a couple of these things. This discovery of assets means that we want to be thinking, of, and we're excited about being able to gather on a Sunday morning. I mean, I, I hope I can be with you physically uh, this summer, and if I can't, we'll do this. But um, So that's an exciting thing. But I think one of the big changes is going to be a, a reallocation of emphasis and not putting quite so much stress only about one experience once a week in, in one location. Now, don't mishear me. That's, that remains vital. Uh, and it always will be. Uh, from the earliest days of the church till Jesus comes, our gathering is vital. But I think when you look at church budgets, when you look at church energies, uh, boy, disproportionate amount put into 60 to 90 minutes versus a 24-7 sense of being on mission. And so I'm looking forward for, by the way, for for our sisters and brothers that, that don't have church buildings, when you discover the people or the assets, as you know, at Awakening, uh, church just continues to flower and grow and develop and homes and coffee shops and all kinds of ways, businesses. But for those, for instance, who do have buildings, uh, how do we get them to be 24-7 hubs of fruitfulness, of business incubation and charity and partnership and prayer? And how do we... Um, again, not stopping that. So I think that's going to be one thing I hope we don't lose is the the creativity and the innovation and the sense of being on mission apart from just a gathering. I think that's a big thing. Um, I think another thing <clears throat> that we're discovering is people really want personal care. Um, I'm not putting that all on the pastors in a, or all on a one group of leaders, but I think this is an opportunity going forward to really help people as a normal part of discipleship to be alert to and take responsibility for others and for one another. Um, I Introvert or extrovert, leader, follower, whatever one's profile may be, I think the day's coming where any and every believer can lead someone to Christ, but also be a, a friend and a nourisher of the life of Jesus and at least one other person. And so I'm looking forward to that. I think another thing that's going to be going forward that's coming out of this moment, um, I don't have to make the case anymore for the integration of faith and work and the importance of economic wisdom for spiritual leaders. And 
uh, because it's right in front of us with 30 plus million people unemployed uh, in the U.S. And that that number will reduce and things will get better. But um, this this notion that there's a gap between Sunday and Monday, it, I think that's being bridged right now. And as we as we're able to gather, boy, let's strengthen that bridge and um, really help people see discipleship in all of life. No, I love that. And it's something that goes back to some of the things that we're saying and part of our vision of um, like so one of the things we say is we want to be an everyday church, not just a Sunday church. And this, you know, this crisis has given us opportunity in ways that we couldn't do that before to be an everyday church and to be on mission and to see even coworkers. Uh, being able to minister to other coworkers, and I, I just we had our staff meeting earlier today and hearing of stories of different people leading their coworkers to uh, faith in Christ. You know, because every crisis not only is you know a problem and an obstacle, but it's an opportunity, and it's an opportunity for the gospel. And seeing how, like you said earlier, back to the encouragement, God takes those moments. And he can bring good out of them in really powerful ways. We're, we're made for this moment. Um, a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community um, is made for this moment. Um, one, of my old one of my colleagues who's now with the Lord years ago was asked one day, what's the heart of being um, full of the Holy Spirit? What's the heart of any? And, he, of course, he connected that with God's mission which is what the book of Acts is about. But he paused for a minute. He said, you know, I think part of the heart of the work of the Holy Spirit is creativity, is, is being uh, aware and alert and able to be nimble in the circumstances that we're in. And the church did this under severe persecution in the third century. They did this as the Western Empire was collapsing in the fifth and sixth century. Um, they did it again in a variety of contexts where um, things around them weren't good, but the, God's people found ways to bring good. And I think um, that's just that's just you know that's just encouraging to me. At the same time, with all of that, um, we are in a real spiritual battle. Uh, I was just in touch with a wonderful man, and we're working together, Brian Fickert. Uh, he works at the uh, Covenant College, but at the Ch what's called the Chalmers Center. And some of uh, some listening in may have heard of his book a few years ago, When Helping Hurts. And he's just written a new book called Becoming Whole. And Brian is a six foot ten economist and um, a wonderful gospel brother. But um, as I was talking to Brian, he said, and here he is, an economist, and he's helping the poor become self-sustaining. He's doing all this research around the world. And then he says this, we have got to recognize our spiritual battle. We need the Holy Spirit and creativity. And I guess if there's another thing coming out of all of this, I see every tradition of Christianity saying, come Holy Spirit, come and help us. Now, of course, he's already in us and with us, but that's a prayer for God. Would you just activate your wisdom in our life? And and um, so that that that's another point of excitement and another point of humility that, oh, God, we need your help in this moment. Yeah, I I, I think it has so much to do with our 
finally being aware we don't actually have control. We're, we're desperately dependent beings that can only function and operate with the empowerment of the Spirit of God in our lives, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. having that, these moments, uh, they don't, they just reveal what's already been true the entire time of us, you know. That's a really, thank you, Pastor. That, and, and less people think it means passivity, the Holy Spirit works in such a way that our personalities and bodies and circumstances are all integrated in the process. And so what's, what's exciting is um, that God offers us wisdom at work and wisdom for our marriages and wisdom for our relationships and, and wisdom for church leaders to kind of say, okay, how do we pivot and adjust? Um, and so I, I just, that, 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 what I'm hearing from people I admire and learn from is that I think we need to have an expectation that he really will speak to us. Um, just to bring up an icon, just for fun, uh, Rick Warren has helped in a whole generation of leaders with his purpose-driven life, with several of Saddleback's ministries. And, and, and by the way, just to give Rick real kudos, he's not asking everybody to look just like him. <laughs> you know, so I want to praise God for his work. But I think the real lesson of, of Rick Warren and his wonderful team is that every team, every family, every local church team, uh, business, ministry, can hear from God what they're to be about. And that's exciting. You get to lead the awakening team in that listening and learning and doing process. Um, but boy, let's let's apply it to our to to our everyday life in new ways. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. All right. I want to get back to that question we were talking about a little bit earlier, because I just foresee there's going to be a growing tension uh, in the church uh, in Silicon Valley uh, in California. Uh, and it's, it's going to go back to some of the things that are built in and hardwired from our American ideology is my rights. We have the right to. And, and so then part of it is when can we regather as a church? When can we have, we all, I can't wait till we can all be together and worship together, you know, take communion, have the, the ministering of God's people in one place. and. And so, yet at the same time, there's there's a re reality, at least where in large part of the churches were either not even thought of or willfully neglected um, in spaces. And I'm a part of a group that's uh, I'm not the that the there's a handful of guys. I'm not one of them, but they're working directly with our county, uh, and then they come back report to us as the primary faith organization of how this looks but instead of it just being we want to cooperate it's been fairly difficult and how should we as the church in in your estimation respond in these seasons i, I think there's just some biblical um values and and ways in which we're called to respond when things don't go the way we think they should or the way they uh, ought to Good. Um, this is not this is not unique to Silicon Valley, although Silicon Valley and other urban centers like her 
face it more than other cultures or more than other geographies um, that are at least a little more sympathetic to the institution called church. So I'm going to start with a couple of key spiritual principles, and then I'm going to move into a couple of wisdom principles. I think the first thing is we have to just be in touch with our own emotions and not make decisions on our reactions. Um, I, I can't, I mean, by the way, I pay attention to Silicon Valley in California. It's was my home for most of my life. And I'll have to admit, my first reaction to things that come from various governmental agencies or various public figures is not always holy. Um, you know, my, when I say that, my first reaction, not what words I'm going to say or decisions I make. So we need to take that reaction and, first of all, turn it into prayer. Uh, I think one of the one of the best things that every awakening member could do, every member of every gospel church in Silicon Valley do, would be to pray for the city, county, and state leaders by name and bless them. And you can absolutely be upset with what they may be doing or not doing, but there is a power in that blessing. Um, there's a power in moving in the opposite spirit of what's coming against us. So that's one kind of principle. A second principle uh, that I think is really important is to distinguish between marginalization and overt persecution. Yeah. Um, we are marginalized by elites. That's, that's, a, that's part of a givenness that's been developing over the last 40 years. So that's not a new thing. We do feel like exiles in our home. And for people who are over 50 or especially over 60, um, there is still at least a vague memory of when um, a Christian sensibility could be public. And I won't call it normal, but at least part of the identity of what it meant to be American. Uh, Will Hirschberg wrote a book in 1955 called Protestant Catholic Jew, and he talked about the melting pot, and well, and that was my childhood, right? Someone was Protestant, someone was Catholic, somebody did Hanukkah, they were Jewish. And in big cities, there were a few exotic folks from other, you know, but in general, um, it was you kind of fit one of those categories. And now we hear people saying so and so is Christian, as if implying clearly that a lot of people aren't. And that's a big change for older believers in particular. And then for newer believers, who people who've come to faith in the last two decades, and or who, who may be younger, both in age and in faith, they're, they're coming to faith and following Jesus in a context where everything's up for grabs. And so... Um, and there's been there's been this weird inversion from what's normal and then what's not normal to um, Bible believing Christians feeling like they're the abnormal ones. Um, and so I, I would say this: the second principle is sort of understanding that we really are exiles. That that we are actually radicals historically. Our our views on the Bible and morality and how we look at the world really are different. But we have to really accept the fact that we have a culture that's mostly indifferent and occasionally hostile. And when you know that, it doesn't make you superior, it doesn't make you be arrogant, but it helps you change your expectations of what comes out of the mouths and what comes out of the policies of people. 
So those are the first couple of general points. And let me just add one more before I, before I finish this, this too long answer. We also need to want for all others the rights we want for ourselves. So the most pragmatic thing we can do in wisdom, as we talk about opening up again, is in our communication to talk about temples and mosques and synagogues and churches and charities. In other words, we're not asking for uh, church rights for ourselves. We're asking that all people that want to gather for religious and charitable and, and good purposes would be able to gather. And that's, and that's a great way to sort of mitigate the hostility that really is, frankly, mostly focused on churches. Uh, but it's a great way to mitigate it. Oh, so good uh, and helpful. And I think um, the very first point of uh, identifying your emotion and then bringing it into prayer and then praying for our government leaders um, just because I think this is a time where we're already emotionally disoriented. Yes. So that is takes extra time and extra discernment and maybe even extra um, conversations with a, a trusted, godly person to, to unravel some of the things going inside um, in them. And I know it's for me as a leader, it's emotionally disorienting. And it's, I've had to spend so much time trying to, you know, identify what's happening internally before I could ever speak it. Otherwise, it would do great harm if I you know, that out. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, let's 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 take a moment on this because I think that uh, social media and the twenty four seven news cycle um, give vent to unfiltered and unreflected thinking. Yeah. I have had my worst moments in public communication when I reacted to something. And I think for about four years ago, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that I won't speak to an issue, but the Holy Spirit said, unless it's just a prayer point or an immediate crisis, wait two or three days before you speak right or speak to something so that what you're doing is reflective and not reactive. And I followed through on that pretty well. Um, I, I, I failed recently when I tried to say something I thought was kind and it was misinterpreted. Uh, there will always be that, but I was, I was honestly, I was, I was reacting. And so I think that's going to be that, that goes for our personal conversations in some cases, but it especially goes for our public communication. I, I think that's so important. And as you know, our church is a young church. And those are disciplines of the soul, back to what we're talking about, of, of reflecting before reacting. And, and it's so critical, like you said, I, you said it so well, I can't recite it, uh, but it's just, we're living in a world that is just unfiltered. And you said another word, I can, I'm trying to remember. Well, it's unreflective. Unreflective, there you go, yeah. And, and so then... But that is determining our understanding of reality right now. Yeah. Our emotions are the most important determiner of what's true. And so if we don't take that time to reflect, then, uh, and I'm not saying, I'm saying that's what our culture says about our emotions, but um, then, then we're going to do great harm in this season. Um, 
We are. And I think, I think, Pastor, I think one of the other things that's important is to realize we are in a spiritual battle where the most basic things are being contended for. Two of them are two of them are right in front of us every day. What does it mean to be a human being, male and female? And then what does it mean to know anything with any certainty at all? And I'm not here to answer though. That's all. Those are multiple Zoom calls, right? Both of those issues. But what happens is somebody repeats some kind of accusation, and it becomes a huge thing. And then when it turns out not to be completely true, we sort of apologize on page 43. But the damage has been done to our souls and the souls of the people under scrutiny there. And so I would say we have to really um, we have to really be wise here. The other thing we have to do that I've been really praying and thinking about a lot, we have to be able to affirm our absolutes while living with people who have different ones next door. And what we're what we're contending for, we're contending for the truth, and we want people to love Christ and step into God's ways and discover that His ways are good. But what we're we're not asking for coercive conformity to our opinions. What we're asking, what we're asking and wanting, we want for all others the freedom of conscience and movement that we want for ourselves. And so when somebody has a different view of what it is to be human, or somebody has a different view of morality, or somebody has a different view of a political solution for things, what what I think we need to realizes we're aiming for proximate justice, not a theocracy. Uh, And now, by the way, until Jesus comes, I would love every single person to say yes to Jesus and every single thing we do to reflect his kingdom. But until he comes, I would defend the right of that one atheist or that one Buddhist or that one person to voluntarily dissent from what I think um, and, and and be the person they are. So and for for the, those who are listening and those that we're conveying this to that might be newer in faith, that have come into faith in the last um, decade or so, um, God really does have um, clarity in his word about things. But that clarity doesn't mean that we're coercive. It means we want to be persuasive by our integrity, uh, by our prayerfulness, by our humility. But we also don't have to uh, we also don't like being rejected. And so it's really hard that no matter how nice we are, there's just going to be times when um, we're going to be rejected. Yeah. Well, maybe you could speak to then the first Peter passage where it talks to be always be prepared to give a answer, you know, for the hope that you have, right? That somebody's asking you that our lives are so different uh, that uh, you have to be prepared that what is winsome and and what is persuasive isn't necessarily winning an argument, but but living out God's ways in such a way filled with hope that it's attractive. And maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Well, Peter's key words there include the being ready with an answer, but we've uh, apologetics often fo- focuses on the content of the answer. Peter assumed that they knew the message. What he was concerned about were the two words in the text translated gentleness and respect. And by the way, that's not compromise. That's not 
uh, changing our mind on what we think is a core principle of God's word. But it's, it's understanding that the person I'm talking to is made in God's image. The person I'm talking to, Christ died for. Wow. So, you know, in, and again, in God's providence, but the person I'm talking to might be one of the next church planters that I'll be serving, uh, even though right now they're hostile to what I'm thinking. Or the person I'm talking to has so much to give to the world. One of my wistful parts of my life is I have natural family members that are brilliant and compassionate and yet so far from Christ. And um, But I'm making it a point to thank them for what they bring to the world. And even the people that contend with me over moral and political issues, I'm looking for every opportunity to thank them for compassion, concern, professional excellence. And so I think uh, James Sire, one of the great Christian apologists for half a century, and he's done a lot in giving us worldview and good content, but he said, you know what, the best apologetic is incarnational. And that's a fancy word for lived out faith that's relational with others. And this is what I see at Awakening. This is what I see in some of the sisters and brothers you get to work with, uh, both in your church and the other churches that are blossoming in a valley that they say, oh, the church doesn't have a chance. Not at all. Um, the gospel is doing its work. But with the gentleness and respect um, is, is a critical thing. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you keyed in on that. And it's one of those things where, as I bring it back to earlier, uh, you know, the person that, that just led their coworker to faith, they they lived a life that was winsome in such a way that the coworker knew they could go and ask them, hey, I need something right now. You have something. Could you tell me about it? Could you point me in the right direction? And they can have a, a conversation, and that comes through that incarnational, gentle, respectful, but and and filled with hope, offering the life and love of Jesus. Uh, Pastor, you just said something very important at the beginning of your comments, and that was um, leading a fellow worker to Christ. And you've unearthed something. If if you were to ask me, what's a concern that you have going forward? It would be that we not stop actual verbal witness of the gospel in our desire to be servants and our desire to care for the poor and our desire to live out our faith. Indeed, um, we need to realize at some point we actually do have to share the story and our story and call people to receive it. And again, it can be done in this wonderful and warm and caring style. And here's one of the reasons we, we don't have a lot of verbal witnessing sometimes. We don't like rejection. No. Um, but what's happening is if, if, we're, if we're growing in our faith, they're not rejecting us. They might be a little bit, um, but they're, they're struggling with submission of their will to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, because we can make excuses of corruption in the church. We can make excuses of all kinds of historical things. And by the way, I have found it really wonderful to just look people in the eye and say, you know what, like Daniel of old, I repent. You're absolutely right. Uh, the classism or racism or areas of just insensitivity and sometimes outright violation of the best Christian. You're absolutely right. 
and here's Jesus. And here's the beauty and brokenness of his bride struggling to be the people of God. And so I think, but I'm not going to apologize for the strength that lies in the truth of the gospel. So good. And that's one of my prayers for our church. Uh, as my dream has always been uh, for years, uh, in Acts 2, I have just written down uh, a BHAG, uh, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goal, like where it's like, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Uh, like my dream at awakening to see what would it look like in Silicon Valley, 365 people come to know Jesus in a year, where we literally saw daily. Um, but it doesn't start or happen because I preach a great sermon or we put on a good production and experience. There's those moments and those are important, but it happens because people who have experienced the gospel then are on mission, living it out and sharing it with their co-workers and their neighbors. And I think that's part of the opportunity that we live in now that is greater than ever before for us to extend the gospel. So maybe as we're closing up uh, our time or finishing up our time, what, what are like just some of those strategic opportunities that as a church, we, we don't want to miss out on? You know, as you forecast the next three, the next six months, uh, there, there's strategic opportunities ahead of us that if we lean in as a church, uh, the kingdom fruit is just going to be uh, so um, impactful. So what are a few of those things? Well, I mentioned it at the beginning, but let me reiterate this, really knowing each other. And I think why that's important is as uh, as we're on mission, and remember, I'm a member of Awakening, so I'm going to join you here. As we're on mission, we also need to know there are other brothers and sisters that can help us if we face some questions or face some situations that we don't quite know about. So I would say let's really work at helping the body know, know itself, helping people know uh, who are the who are go-to people. So someone's sharing the gospel at work and a, and a co-worker brings up a question that they're not sure what to do with. Um, and it, it's one thing to say, check this website out. It's quite another to say, hey, I think, you know, John or Mary are really, sh they can really help me with that. And what a great thing to say to your co-worker. I'm going to find out about that and we'll be back in touch. Or, or as we lead people to Christ, we don't just sort of hand them off to a program, but, but nor do we need to be eternal counselors. We get to be friends. So I would say helping people grow in heart capacity to welcome one or two new friends in the church and outside the church, you know, each year, uh, because that's how that's how things grow. And uh, when I when I consult with churches, I ask the elders, have you invited a colleague from work to the church? If they have a quick yes, I've got a pretty healthy church. If they pause, we've got work to do, right? But but part of it also is, have you shared your faith? So that's I think that's one area. I think another practical thing is, um, and it may be connected with the first one, is we can't we can't all know everything about everything, and so the more we can get sort of comfortable with a, and this is where you can really help help us, Pastor, and you and the team really help us see what normal looks like that's universal and then see what may be particular with people. 
So it's normal that we can get into God's word. It's normal that we can have our our marriages, if we're married, be healthy or relationships be healthy. It's normal that we can share our faith. But there may be some things that really are callings or have our specializations of others. And so helping people navigate, hey, what's, what's normal? And then what do I really need to lean on others for? That's going to be really practically helpful in the days ahead. Yeah, so good. And yeah, I think even more important as the needs are growing, uh, being able to know one another uh, in deeper ways, because I think more questions from people are, are coming. And so we, we got to be prepared. Well, if I can just add one economic wisdom piece here, um, churches, um, pastors need to understand economics in a basic sense of, of, of the goodness and importance of work, what exchange is, that people come out of poverty with dignifying work. But there's so many good resources by which they can help folks that, that that each church doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. That that collaboration can be part of that, and and so that's why I, I love doing what I do. We can invite um, invite these resources to really help us out. Oh, so good, and this has been so rich. Uh, I want to ask you to do something for us as we go, if you don't mind. Um, earlier, you talked about the power of a blessing. I, I was actually going to try to get you to dive in a little deeper in that moment uh, and the struggle. Communication via, you know, the live stream or how Zoom or whatnot. But would you take a moment because you talked about blessing the your political leaders? But would you just talk? What is it that makes blessing so powerful? What is it? You know, talk about the blessing, and then would you take a moment and just uh, pray a prayer blessing over our church and our absolutely three things about the power of blessing. Um, number one, it's it's commanded by Jesus. He actually said, "Bless those who persecute you." Um, so I say that because I, I want to be in alignment with our Lord's clear words. A second derivative of that is it's the opposite spirit of the accuser. So Satan comes to destroy, to dehumanize, to distort. When we bless, we are really asking God to bring His fullness to the people we're blessing, even when they're enemies of the gospel at the moment, um, because, because God made them and Christ died for them. So we're, we're moving in that opposite spirit. And then a, a third thing that I still find amazing, and I, I just get chills, God's decided that our prayers matter. I mean, we believe in a sovereign God, and the Bible says he does what he pleases. And what he has been pleased to do is use our prayers to make a difference in the world. And so uh, that's why I think it's so important. And so let, let's just take a moment and we'll, we'll pray together. Our gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and you're also Abba Father. And so, Lord, I pray for Awakening Church and for the Silicon Valley that the awareness of you as the almighty and sovereign God and the awareness of your intimate love for believers and non-believers would be known. And I bless awakening and I bless the Silicon Valley with you as Abba, the almighty, 
Lord Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are far above all, and Satan is under your feet. And you call us friends. You call us your bride as your church. And I pray for awakening that friendship with you would take on a new dimension. And the identity of being your bride would be in its full beauty of the kind of dwelling you want to have with us. And then, Lord, I thank you that you would say these same things to those who don't yet know you. And so in Blessing Awakening, I also bless each member to convey that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's one of us forever. And that, Lord, when we face evil and destruction and difficulty, you know all of this because you absorbed it in your life, death, and resurrection. And on that cross, you took not only our sins and our penalty, but you took our sorrows and our sicknesses and our unanswered questions. So, Lord, make yourself known. And Sovereign Spirit of God, your breath put the stars in place created the cosmos, your power raised Jesus from the dead, and you dwell in these jars of clay. And so I speak over awakening, a blessing of a release of every gift and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, not only in our gatherings with believers, but in our everyday life, that your illumination, your wisdom, your discernment, your knowledge would flow through your people. And then, Lord, you're, you're the active one in the unbelievers that we meet, you're already preparing them for our sharing. And we ask, Lord, that we would have a confidence that you are at work in the people who do not yet know you, wooing them and calling them. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you that you have blessed and are blessing and will bless Awakening Church, and you have blessed and are blessing the Silicon Valley, that you want it to be a praise for Jesus. We give you honor for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dr. Charlie Self. So appreciate it. Thanks for being so generous with your time and blessing me and our church. Uh, I'm so grateful for you.